Hey everyone, and welcome to episode 2 of Hoops and Hot Pot, the premier NBA podcast coming at you straight from Cabramatta, Sydney. I'm Alex M. With me here today is my co-host Alex D, and the D stands for didn't get to go home until 8.30pm because he works for a top 4 accounting firm. Yeah, corporate slave life, you know how it is. I'm sure most of you out there can relate. Alex, I'm sure you can also relate working for... Wait, who do you work for? Uh, Look, I work for the public service and I'm not going to name my employer because most of them are probably listening to this podcast. This is why we're doing the podcast, isn't it? We're trying to chase that podcast superstardom, trying to be like your your Malcolm Gladwell or your Zach Lowe. Yeah, they call me um, the Joe Rogan of um, NBA podcasting. Well, it's aspirational, like all things. Uh, We aim to be the Joe Rogans of the NBA podcasting world. And, uh, you know, this episode, hopefully we'll listen back to it three, four, five years from now and be like, man, where did we go so wrong? I mean, we probably are the Joe Rogans of Cabramatta podcasting, at least. Yeah, to my knowledge, there's no one better (laughs) in Cabramatta uh, at podcasting than we are. Uh, But that remains to be seen. Anyway, we've got a few things to discuss today. And the first one that I can think of is Russell Westbrook. Now, last episode, uh, we talked about the Paul George trade. And we talked about how it might be a bit of a harbinger of things to come, right? Yeah. Uh, with OKC looking to blow it up, they got seven draft picks uh, out of that Clippers trade. Yep. Uh, Russell Westbrook is now apparently on the books. He's not happy in OKC. Sam Presti doesn't want to keep him either. Uh, and he's got a couple of landing spots in mind, but the first one is Miami. Uh, what are your thoughts on a possible Westbrook-Miami pairing? So... Immediately when I think of the Russell Westbrook potentially getting traded to Heat situation, like, I don't love it. I don't even like it. Right. It's just two guys who are fairly inefficient or, like, known for being inefficient in Russell Westbrook and Jimmy Butler leading your team. I thought you were going to say Dion Waiters there, but go on. Oh, sorry, my bad. I forgot about the superstar known as Dion Waiters. He's the best player, man. Oh, man, I forgot my house on Waiters Island. Um, Still sitting there collecting dust, but... Dude, the, pro- sh- the property values go up every day, all right? We keep talking <laughs> doom and gloom about the Sydney property market. The Sydney property market's on the rebound, but maybe <laughs> my house on Waiters Island is just going up and up and up. Yeah, it's just offsetting my um, losses right now in that um, Sydney house apartment fracturing oh, situation. The, the one that we can all afford and buy into, right? Yeah, didn't you know Like, I have an apartment complex in Mascot right now? Yeah, just, just don't be poor, bro. I always tell you, just don't be poor. Just don't be poor. All right, anyway. anyway. So back to basketball. So... With Jimmy Butler, I think the two things these guys will bring out in each other is the intensity, which is good. I think Miami Heat is known for Pat Riley bringing that sense of intensity and hard work, even if they are just struggling to make the eighth seed or not make the eighth seed. What he brings you is probably about 35 wins. Right. Um, But he's not a guy that you're looking to lock up if you're trying to compete for a championship. Um, What do you think about it? Well, I think it's interesting that you call him a floor raiser, and I definitely agree. Um, But you also mentioned that Pat Riley is really big on things like effort and hustle, right? And to Miami's credit, they're one of the best teams in the league when it comes to conditioning and keeping in shape. Like next to the Warriors, um, they're basically the ones who have invented this defensive play style and offensive play style of using your motion, using your hustle to tire people out, and then just going at them because you have a deeper roster of more athletic guys, right? And Russell Westbrook, it's crazy to me, but he fits really perfectly in Eric Spolstra's system. Okay. Their up and down so? play style. It's the up and down play style. It's the physical defense. Like Westbrook's not a great defender, but one on one, he's pretty good because he can get in your face. He's yep. fast. He's athletic. He he doesn't really get tired. So you know, the, from a basketball perspective, I, I don't like it for the same reasons you don't like it. I think Westbrook is a floor raiser and, and not much more than that. Uh, I think. You know, he's like a spacing, his decision-making puts a hard cap on how good that team can be. Uh, Jimmy Butler, I think, is going to phone it in for the next couple of seasons now that he's living in Miami. Yeah. Uh, he's going to be the next to sign Whiteside, basically. Um, well, after a bit of contemplation on the potential... Initially, I didn't like the idea of Westbrook being traded anyway. I see him as a, like a homer for life kind of guy. Right. Like, you know, uh, Dirk situation, like spend 20 seasons with the same team. Yeah. But now that I think about it, as somebody who does support Westbrook, he had no future in OKC, and even if he goes to a worse situation, it might just be worth seeing him in a different situation. Like, we've only known him as an OKC Thunder player for his entire career. Yeah, we we don't know what going to another system, playing with a different set of players, could bring out in him. Um, as you said, as I've said, and you've agreed, Pat Riley is a bit of a no nonsense kind of guy. 
um, if Westbrook is doing those stupid boneheaded turnovers that result in about nine or ten of them per yeah. game, uh, Pat Riley's going to have a sit down with him and be like, "Hey, mate, I didn't get these rings by having point guards who chuck the ball away ten times per game." Sure. And you never know. They always said Westbrook was getting babied in OKC, and maybe in Miami Heat they won't tolerate that because they're like, "Who are you? Like, we've got rings here, you know? Like, we don't need you. We'll get rid of you in a heartbeat if we want to." Yeah, and. To, to Miami's credit, they're probably one of the better teams in the league at, at getting that out of a player, right? As you said, Pat Riley, he needs no introduction. He's proven himself. He won three rings when he was managing Miami and, and many more uh, yep. on other teams. Eric Spolstra, while he did butt heads with LeBron, and while LeBron did want him out during the Miami days, he was able to stand his ground uh, to make his pitch to Pat Riley and said, let me run the team the way I want to run it, right? Yep. Things like small ball, which he, he threw out with Chris Bosch at center. It went kind of ran counter to what people were talking about at the time, but Spolstra stuck to his vision, and, and that's why he's the championship coach. You know, yes, he had LeBron, yes, he had Wade, yes, he had Bosch, yes, he had one of the best role players, uh, I think, of the modern era, Shane Battier. Uh, but at the end of the day, he's a great X's and O's coach. He knows how to get the best out of his players. That's reason enough for me to think that Miami will be a good team. Will there be a great team? I don't think so. Will there be a contender? I think there's there's not a snowball's chance in hell. Uh, but if what Miami fans are after and what the front office is after is entertaining basketball to put bums in seats and sell tickets, I think the Westbrook trade is, is the ticket. Yeah, to your point about um, good head coaches and how um, you caveated um, your analysis of Pat, oh, sorry, not Pat Riley, Eric Spolstra with, oh yeah, you know, he had LeBron, Wade and Chris Bosh, but that doesn't take away from the fact that he's a good coach. Uh, you you see that sentiment al- across a lot of ex players and right. sports commentators. They always say, "Yes, Steve Kerr had you know Curry, Clay, Draymond, and Durant, but in any other given situation, he'd still be a great coach." And you always see championship coaches um, prove their worth in the playoffs and in high leverage moments. It's not just about the fact that they have good players; it's the fact that they use them in ways that other coaches might not be able to. Um, yeah, I think I'm I think even though the Heat isn't necessarily my favorite in terms of where Russell Westbrook could go, it's definitely something I'm interested in seeing. Um and as we saw last this current this past year in the playoffs, uh it just takes one or two lucky breaks to go your way in the right. playoffs in terms of seeding or a player goes down or something like that. And you never know, like Westbrook and Butler in the East, I do believe they can push this team to the Eastern Conference Finals if they get a couple of lucky breaks here and there because who are your gatekeepers in the East right now it's Milwaukee and the Sixers right do I believe Westbrook and Butler could take down the the Celtics as they currently stand yes do I believe they can take down the Pacers as they currently stand yes like on any given day you have your bad Westbrook days but this this Westbrook slander that has been going on these last slander week. is that what you're gonna call it? No, seriously, this Westbrook slander that's gone on these last few days in the media, I would think that he's like a third tier role player. You wouldn't think he's a guy who puts up a triple double, even if it's inefficient. For someone to put up a triple double, is still a triple double, even if he has to ball the entire game. Like, I've seen guys at our local, you know, at our local games, hold yeah. the ball for the entire game, and they don't put up triple doubles. They don't. Uh, okay, but this is the NBA we're talking about. And I don't disagree with anything you're saying insofar as I think Westbrook maybe gets a bit too much flack uh, for his play. You know, I still think he's a, at worst, at, at the very worst, he's a top 25 player. And on his best days, he's a top 10 player. Yeah. There's a lot of variance in between that. I think the difference between top 10 and top 25 is like the difference between Paul George and, and Gordon Haywood, for example. Yeah. Uh, but... He's not a bad player. What's what's bad about him is his contract. And I think we need to talk about this because it's the elephant in the room. Uh, in April, Zach Lowe said, Russell Westbrook's Supermax contract may be the second worst in the league behind John Wars the moment he signed it, right? Yeah, sure. And we're talking about a guy who won an MVP two seasons ago, averaged a triple-double three seasons in a row. He still has a, a disgusting contract. And... I think Miami's chances are going to get slimmer every year. And the fact that you've already, like, you, you've identified their path to, I guess, playoff success as get a lucky break. 
Uh, what does that look like? Joel Embiid gets injured. Uh, Tobias Harris completely regresses. Uh, Tony Snell can't do anything. You know, Eric Bledsoe plays even worse than he did last season. Oladipo tears his ACL again. There's a lot of things that can go wrong, but are enough things going to go wrong for Miami to make an impact? Like, how realistic is that? Well, I think in a good in a good season, we're assuming things play in a fairly decent way for them. Right. They can be anywhere between um, the fourth seed to the sixth seed, which means if they catch a lucky break, they may not have to face the Milwaukee Bucks or or the Sixers until the second round. And if they can take that second round to maybe about six games or maybe even a hard seventh game, I think that rehabilitates Westbrook's image as a first round out guy. Right. And to get to the second round and get to seven games means a lot. Ask Joel and B next year when you see him. Um, and I think with Westbrook, we've seen some of the upper, the best games he's played, right? Games where he's put up a triple-double with very minimal turnovers, maybe like only two or three. What if we saw more of those games under Eric Spolstra and under Pat Riley's watch? Um, I think, you know, there's the chance that they could just bring out a more disciplined Russell. And I think that's always been the critique about him, that he's not disciplined. He gets baited into one-on-one matches with point guards for no reason. He gets baited into attacking wars with four guys in front of him. What if Eric Spolstra goes, you do that, like, I'm going to bench you forever. Right. And then you see him do that kind of stuff less. What? So what if we get an efficient triple-double? Does that change the perspective on him? It it should. Okay, it should. Will it? I think Westbrook has a bit too much ill will that's built up towards him over the years uh, to, to overthrow that. Even if he legitimately plays well and is... I guess he plays ideally, right? He doesn't have to get the triple-double efficiently every game. I'm not expecting him to hit, you know, 58% true shooting or anything like that. Yeah. I'm not even expecting him to hit even 35% of his three-pointers, and that's fine. He is who he is at this point of his career. Yeah. But I have reason to be optimistic about how he'll play this year because Eric Spolster is his coach, like you said. We've never seen Westbrook play for a good coach. Uh, his first coach was Scott Brooks, who I think, in hindsight, gets a bit too much criticism for his coaching. Yep. But he's definitely not even in the top 60% of NBA coaches. And then Billy Donovan is just is just awful. He's been he's kept his job because he has nudes of Sam Presti or something. That, <laughs> that is the only explanation I have for why this guy is still coaching in the National Basketball Association. I hear good and bad stuff about him. There are some people who defend him, like defend the fact that he won a college championship and say that that's, that's worthy in and of itself. Okay, and there are people um, like Kevin Durant's burner account who claims he's just a bum, and I believe Kevin Durant because Kevin Durant knows <laughs> his hoops. You know, um, Billy Donovan, the best thing he ever did was run a big lineup against the Spurs in 2016. You remember that series when, you yeah. know, it was like 40 year old Tim Duncan, yeah, uh, against Stephen Adams and Enos Cantor, two young guys who were athletic, who were strong, skilled in the post. Uh, that was his adjustment. Yeah. And and those two, you know, lumbering giants just ran over Duncan because he was too old and too slow to keep up with them. And don't forget in that about. same year when we, it was the 73 Warriors, 73 win Warriors year where he also brought out that athletic lineup, that length-based lineup that just completely overwhelmed the Warriors for the better part of that series until until they didn't. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Billy Donovan, for the most part, his in-game adjustments and his cross-series adjustments... I think you see that sort of championship caliber in him. The reason why he won a college championship was because he was able to do those things. You know, he was able to tailor his lineups and his rotations to who was out there on the court. The problem is he doesn't he doesn't know how to run an offensive system. And I don't know if that's because Russell Westbrook was his point guard. It may very well be, and, and we'll see for sure if Westbrook is traded, yep. whether there's any merit to him as a coach. Uh, but the fact remains that Russ has never had a good coach in his career. And Eric Spolscher, in my opinion is a good coach. Now, I think Westbrook's legacy rides on how he performs in Miami if he goes there. And we'll probably have to talk about this again once the trade happens. <laughs> <laughs> I love how we're just talking about it as if it's happened already because I guess we all know what's going to happen. Well, you said that last thing before we talk about the next potential team that he could get traded on. I think you, you said that his contract is considered an albatross. And for some of our listeners who may not know what an albatross is, it's basically a contract in the league where it's just 
overinflated. It's worth way too much compared to what it should be. Um, and I think while I do agree that it's an albatross, that you have to remember the context in which this contract was signed. It was signed at a time where OKC was on the brink of losing Durant and Westbrook right. in the same month. And they were like, we just have to get somebody. Otherwise, this team may not even exist in Oklahoma in a few like months from now. Sure. And when you put that into perspective, at least the first three years out of those five years makes sense. And I'm of the opinion that Westbrook isn't at the albatross part of his deal yet. I think the year after this one, and then and from then on, that's when you start seeing those really, really bad declines in yeah. Westbrook's game. But I think for at least this year, we're not at the point where Westbrook's contract is absolutely horrific yet. Yeah, and that's why I'm able to talk about the Miami Heat as a potentially good basketball team. Because, yeah. yes, Westbrook is overpaid because he's not he's not a top 5, top 10 star in the league. Uh, but I agree with you in that the contract doesn't look that bad for the next year. It's just the fact that the Heat, will, if they trade for him, they're going to be paying him $47 million a year at the age of 35. And age 35 Westbrook is not going to look pretty. Yeah, well... I've heard with OKC, it's kind of like playing checkers. I mean, it's kind of like playing chess while everyone else is playing checkers because during those years in which you project um, Westbrook would be bad, that's when OKC would have their picks. So that would work out great for OKC in that right. sense. Um, but anyway, moving on. I think the next team that piqued my interest when I was reading about it was a potential Westbrook to Houston Rockets. Right. Did you read that one? I did. I don't see how it's going to happen, but go on. I don't see how it's going to happen either, except barring a potential Chris Paul trade. Yeah. Um, but I don't know. What are your thoughts? There are so many angles I feel like you can take this in. Um, so I'm going to let you have the first cut of it. I've already seen Westbrook play with Harden, right? And I, I get why that's intriguing because they're two absolutely electric guards when they're on fire. Uh, they have a lot of energy, like Harden, you know, for how chunky he looks. Yeah. And I don't know if Chris Paul is making fun of his man boobs or whatever. That's, <laughs> that's besides the point. Uh, Harden has a great motor, at least on offense. He can go forever. He's tasked with carrying the team on his back, night in, night out. He always gets the other team's best perimeter defender. And he still averages like 35 points a game. Uh, so there's no question that him and Westbrook would bring a lot of energy to the team. The problem is, I've already seen them play together, and the whole time, all I wanted was for Harden to play point guard. This was back when it was Harden, Westbrook, Durant, and Ibaka together in OKC. There were already rumblings around, you know, around analysts in the league that James Harden uh, looked like he, he, he would be the lead ball handler, yep. and Russell Westbrook may not have had a future there. The problem was because Westbrook was drafted first, because he was drafted at the point guard position, because it was entrusted with the ball handling duties. OKC was not willing to move on from him. And so Harden was traded to Houston. But I don't want to revisit that. I don't want to see that again. Because I can't... No matter how much sense it makes to me, you know, Westbrook playing with a spaced court, of course I'd love to see that. But I just want to see Harden instead. And I think that's redundant. I think Westbrook's strengths on that roster uh, just would not impact Houston's performance as much compared to Chris Paul's defense and spacing, which he still has even though he's declining. Yeah, I think one reason why I do potentially like this trade, especially if it's like almost a Westbrook for Chris Paul straight up type trade, is that Chris Paul is in the diminishing part of his career now. And Russell Westbrook isn't? I don't think so. At least not compared to Chris Paul. Okay, if you okay. if you line the two players up side by side, and I'm assuming Daryl Morey and Mike D'Antoni and Harden all still have championship in aspirations, especially after the Warriors are dismantled. I... If I were to replace Chris Paul with Westbrook straight up in this team, I'd argue the Houston Rockets are better because in Westbrook, you have a sub-Harden in a sense, a high-usage guy, not as good a shooter as Harden, nowhere near. But in terms of D'Antoni's principles in his offense, they're going to do the same thing. They're going to go ISO at the top. Right. Westbrook is still explosive enough to beat his man more often than not or at least force some kind of help and then dish out to a three-point shooter, which is pretty much the the fundamental philosophy of uh, Mike D'Antoni's offensive schemes. So yes, it's better. At the very peak of its ability, it runs through Harden. Yep. But we've seen Harden collapse due to fatigue in playoffs. 
So what if Westbrook was there to help shoulder that burden throughout the regular season? Because you could pretty much just have either a Harden or a Westbrook out there at all times running down Tony's system, which is what his system depends upon. Because we've seen when Harden sits and Chris Paul plays, it's not the same system. Because Chris Paul is used to playing a different way. But Harden could, I mean, Westbrook could fill in Harden's shoes to almost the same degree that Harden does it. That, okay, that makes sense to me, theoretically. But I just watched a playoff series in which the Raptors ran a box and one against Stephen Curry, right? Yeah. And if Russell Westbrook was on that court with Stephen Curry, he'd be one of the guys who the Raptors are just like, yeah, look, you can play zone defense on this guy. Curry's the only guy we have to worry about. I don't see how Russell Westbrook makes that any easier for Harden. Now, if your idea is that they take turns with the ball, I think they're doing that already with Chris Paul and to, to a certain extent, Eric Gordon, who, in my opinion, is probably the second best player on the Rockets right now. Not Clint Capella, not Chris Paul, but yeah. Eric Gordon. The, the fact is that if, if you bring Westbrook on this team, Paul and Gordon are probably gone. And, man, you need, you need perfect basketball from Russell Westbrook to make that happen, right? Yeah. Either that or he develops his shot, he learns how to play off the ball. I don't see that happening. Uh, I don't like the idea of them together. Uh, I know you're tantalized by it. I just don't see it. Yeah, I think I'm I'm just a bit uh, intrigued or romanticizing the idea of Westbrook playing in a different situation because I know he has no future in OKC and it's gotten a bit bland watching him right. put up triple doubles using the same guys. Um I don't know, maybe I'm just a bit optimistic on him, but I think given a different situation, we could see a better Russell Westbrook, a better iteration of him um, show up. But I think that's enough for the Houston Rockets one. What's the other one that you wanted to discuss? The final team I had in mind was uh, the Chicago Bulls. Okay. Uh, And I mentioned this briefly on the previous podcast, but they have the space to bring him in. I don't think they would have to give up too many assets and... Honestly, if you're giving up any assets in a Russell Westbrook trade, you're getting swindled, in my opinion. <laughs> because it's an Albatross contract, and we know that. There's not a single GM in the league who considers that contract to be a positive asset. And yeah. Miami might, but I mean, Pat Riley, I think, is senile at this point of his career. <laughs> um, Chicago, I think their timeline fits with Westbrook's. By the time that contract starts to look really bad, I think your young players, like your Larry Markinens and your Zach Levines... Uh, and your and your Wendell Carter juniors are starting to look pretty good. I think they're going to be at that point of their career where they can shoulder some some of the burden, and Westbrook might be able to take a smaller role at that point. Uh, I just think this team is really lacking leadership. It's lacking hustle, and it's really, really, really lacking a point guard. And I saw nice things from Kobe White in summer league, but unless they make this Westbrook <laughs> trade, they're still a couple of years away. Yeah, I I think yeah that last point you brought up about intangibles and leadership is a good one um sometimes we forget that um these nba players especially the young ones are still humans who at the end of the day need somebody to lead them and to guide them just to show them the ropes you know like when you start your job even if you know the technical basis for your job you still need um like a buddy or a mentor to just show you the ropes the days in the day in day out kind of intricacies of your job and i think nba is similar you know, there's all the off-court stuff that happens. Even just simple things like, you know, like uh, checking in, checking into hotels, getting, p- packing just right for the road. Like all those things, you don't get that from a fellow 19-year-old. You get that from somebody who's been doing it for the last 10 years in the league. Oh, so you mean setting up a leadership council with Zach Levine and Chris Dunn as your leaders wasn't the right thing to do? Uh, I guess not, but you know... Um, the Bulls have a very storied history, uh, and I'm sure people are willing to overlook that for as long as Michael Jordan is still alive. Okay, okay, okay. Um, but yeah, on to your point, I think the timeline is good. I'm a bit concerned about how it might stunt um, Laurie Markkinen's growth and Zach Levine's growth. I think he in- quite enjoyed having the ball in his hands more right, often. Yeah. Um, and we know if Rus- Russell Westbrook goes there, it's not going to be him playing off the ball. No. Um, but, you know, there's, there's upside to that trade, definitely. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't think too much about it. Like, I'd rather see him go to the Heat more than the Bulls, but there is merit to your point about going to the Bulls. Yeah, I think, I think this Bulls <laughs> trade is the one I'd hate the least. And I say hate the least because I don't think Russell Westbrook <laughs> should be traded anyway for the good of the NBA. 
you got you got to stop with this Westbrook slander. No, Seriously, dude, you, I, you're talking about him as if he's a third-rate player who barely scraped into the NBA. No, to me, <laughs> the best way for Russ to ride out his career would be to just be that OKC guy, <laughs> to be the hometown hero. By the time his contract. It looks really bad. He's actively losing you games instead of winning you games. That's great for their franchise. They've got all these draft picks. I just think, I don't know. I'm, I'm in love with the idea of a superstar staying with his team until the very last, right? And I know yeah. he wants out, and that's sad. Uh, but I thought Mike Conley would be a Grizzly for life. And now he's very happily a Utah Jazz. Uh, but I think he would have been happy to, to stay with the Grizzlies. But unfortunately, they have championship aspirations, so they traded him. I actually think the Mike Conley Grizzlies situation is one of those rare, beautiful moments where the franchise willingly helped the star move on to a better situation because they recognize what he's done for them over the last handful of years. Right. And he's, you know, even though at best they were a tough second round out, he always stuck with them and never complained or demanded a way out. And they sort of repaid his loyalty in a sense by helping him go to a situation where he'll contribute to a potential contend- a contender and from what I've heard from like Memphis and their fans there's no ill will there right they will happily cheer for him his first game back at the Grizzlies um, arena yeah as they did for Gasol and look shout out to the Grizzlies fan base and I think to the Thunder's credit to Sam Presti's credit that's what they're trying to do now with Paul George and Westbrook yeah uh, I still don't like the idea that Paul George quit on the team in the first year of his three-year contract to go to LA yeah. after he already did that with Indiana. Uh, that aside, I think it's cool that Sam Presti wants to do the best by his players and get them to good you know, landing spots. I think the, like, it's a fact that not many people want to play in OKC. Uh, they'd rather play Miami and New York and Los Angeles yeah. uh, or even Philadelphia. But the fact that they've got a smart GM who's making these kind of moves, who's doing you know, the right thing by his players... I think people notice that. And I think the next big free agent, if OKC ever gets back to relevancy with their Treasure Trove of draft picks, um, I hope people remember that. Yeah, I think before we move on to our next topic, I just want to sort of use this these few seconds as a placeholder for a topic that I want to discuss later on, which is the idea that's currently trending around the league of contracts and players forcing their way out of contracts. We've had long discussions about this in the past and I've told you how much I detested and hated players forcing their way out but we won't have that discussion today we'll have we'll save that for maybe Sunday's pod but yeah I just want to use that as the placeholder yeah we'll, we'll get around to it and I think a lot of things are going to happen between now and Sunday yeah uh, for us to have a look at I, I just don't bit. want it to seem like um all we do is relay what mainstream American um TV sports commentators are saying because I realized the content so far in this pod has been a bit of a rehash of what I've heard on the internet um, recently. But I just want to let people know, we are thinking of these things ahead of time. It's just that we don't have a multi-billion network supporting us to get these pods out fast enough. All right, man, speak for yourself. (laughs) Anyway, uh, moving on. I think it's cool that we just talked about the Grizzlies because uh, they rate a mention in what we're about to talk about. And I just want to go quickly over the free agency period. I think most rosters are pretty close to being locked in now. There's a few minimum contracts to be given out here and there maybe a few trades to be made. Yep. Uh, but at this point, we kind of look like, we kind of know what each team is going to look like coming to this 2019 to We at least season. know the major framework of each team going into this. Yeah, we, we know we know their goal. We know what they're after. We know the big moves they've made or want to make. Yep. Um, what, which teams to you overperformed the most in this free agency period? Which teams, uh, you know, relative to your expectations... Uh, made the best trades or the best free agency signings so from the west the the two teams i'm tossing up I'll, i will ultimately decide on but the two teams i'm tossing up between are the new orleans pelicans and the okc thunder yep um right now i'm leaning more towards new orleans only because they they picked up a bunch of players who even if they're not the greatest we know what they are and what they could be in the future whereas with OKC, they've got picks, which is, you know, picks are picks. Like, we all, picks can always turn out to be something, but more often than not, they turn out to be nothing. So, at least with players like Lonzo Ball, Brandon Ingram, I know what they are. Right. And I know what they could potentially project to be, or even at their worst, like, 
I, I think I still like them as players, even at their worst. Yeah, there's a vision of, of what they're going to look like. Yeah. Um, you know, you've got your worst case scenario, your best case scenario, and they always land somewhere in between. But yeah. at least you know what that range is, right? Yeah, and if if OKC got the treasure trove of, of draft picks, New Orleans Pelicans aren't that far behind either. They also, because when that AD trade went down, everyone was saying, holy crap, like you'll never see a trade again where this many picks gets traded or even this much stuff just gets yeah, traded for one player. Yeah, these many assets. Yeah, until yeah. the Clippers, you know, up one up them. But don't take any way, anything away from this because this is still a massive haul. And I like that these players are on the same timeline as Zion. So it's not going to be like four years from now when Zion is really starting to make his imprint in the game. And then they start bringing all these new rookies through the draft. They've got players who are ready to go now with him. So I think they were my overperformers and especially considering the fact that everyone knew AD wanted to go to the Lakers yeah. the, the Lakers had all the leverage in the world yeah and like no one forced Rob Palinka to trade the farm yeah. for him it's almost as if they just felt sorry for the Pelicans for screwing their last year over and were like you know what here have Brandon Ingram well you know, I mean? you know what I would never attribute to the Lakers any malice or any goodwill <laughs> when all they've done in the last 10 years is make you believe that you should attribute everything they do to pure stupidity <laughs> well when when you're a household name and and you have a lot of history and story behind you and you have geography going for you it's amazing how much you can stuff up i mean the new the new york knicks are still a thing aren't they uh, i mean if you say so i mean i believe they st- they do still play basketball in new york yeah people go to the games i guess yeah so it's amazing what you can do when you have geography going your way but yeah, who's your, what about you? Who's your Western Conference over performer? I'm going with the Grizzlies, like I said before. Uh, I just love what they're doing with this roster. Uh, there is a couple, obviously the draft picks uh, to be completely raved about. Brandon Clark, I thought, was a top 10 player in the draft and he ended up going really, really late, yeah. like in the second round. Uh, I thought that was a fantastic steal. He looked amazing in Summer League. He looked like everything we thought he would be and maybe a little more as well. Uh, I love the trades they made. Uh, they got Grayson Allen from the Utah uh, for Mike Conley. Yep. Um, they've got Dylan Brooks and Bruno Caboclo, who it's a little bit of question marks, but you know they could pan out. Um, Brandon Clark, I've already mentioned. They've got Dwight Howard and Andre Iguodala, who I think are <laughs> either going to be great trade chips if they can show that they still got something left, yep. or buyout candidates. Um, but either way, having them around the team is going to be good. I think Dwight has turned a new leaf in his book. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm actually really hesitant to say that, but I don't think he's actually done anything that wrong in the last two seasons. Well, and he definitely hasn't done anything to make you be like, I don't want this guy on my team. Yeah. Like he's he's a negative personality. Um, I actually had him on my fantasy last year. Yeah. And he was actually playing really, really well up until the moment he got injured. Yeah. There was nothing. If I looked at his 1920 season, besides the injury, there's nothing there that would make him say, "Oh no, stay away from this guy." Yeah. And any team with championship aspirations would happily take Iguodala at a low, a low couple million, maybe. Yep. I mean, he you could just put him in the cryo chamber until April, May, June roll around, and just you know let him play. Then you literally don't even have to play him during the regular season if you don't want to, because that's what he was doing on the Warriors anyway, yeah. effectively at the end of their run. Yeah, I, I just like the fit of these guys next to the youth movement they've got going in Memphis. Um, Dwight Howard can teach Jaron Jackson Jr. a thing or two. Iguodala next to Brandon Clark and, and Josh Jackson, who still might be a good NBA player, maybe, potentially, <laughs> not sure. Uh, but these are great moves. And like, I still can't believe that Golden State gave up a pick to move Iguodala. I think there are a lot of teams who have taken Iguodala for fair value. Yeah. Uh, but they had to clear cap space with D'Angelo Russell. I understand that. Uh, I just thought Memphis did really well to get a lot of assets out of that. Uh, the next one is they matched... Uh, Minnesota's offer to Tyus Jones yeah, and Minnesota didn't want him so they've got Tyus Jones now who is one of the best uh, ball handlers in the league when it comes to taking care of the ball he's got a great assist to turnover ratio uh, I thought he looked good on Minnesota I understand why they moved him um, but look Memphis are doing exactly what what a good NBA team should be doing when they're in a situation like this uh, they're accumulating draft picks they're accumulating young talent uh, I think they've been low-key rewarded with that number two pick for just the way they've been doing uh, basketball. Yep. If you believe in the basketball gods, I think that number two <laughs> pick, John Morant, 
is a way of saying, well done, my good and faithful servant. <laughs> uh, you're doing it the right way. You know, you're not blatantly tanking. You're treating your players well. Take Ja Morant. Kind of like how the New Orleans Pelicans got Zion after they screwed over. Yeah. Got screwed over by yeah, the exactly. I mean, the guy's name is Zion. Yeah. Like, come on. Like, they have, like where's your god now? Kind yeah, of exactly. You know I mean? like, He's going to enter the Pantheon one day. <laughs> um, and they have Yuto Watanabe, who I, I don't think he's a good player, but he's Japanese and... Apparently that's enough to get people excited. Just look at the Wizards. <laughs> uh, but yeah, that's me. That's Memphis. Uh, I love this team. I think they're like my hipster team now. Okay. Uh, I'm cheering for Ja Morant. I'm cheering for Jaron Jackson Jr. I'm cheering for Brandon Clark. Hope they do well because they deserve it. So at lunchtimes at the office when your fellow grads are talking about the NBA, are you going to be that that guy who brings up the Memphis Grizzlies? It's like, you know, the Grizzlies actually have a really bright future. I think, you know, they can maybe be a tough out in the first round if all things go their way like are you gonna be that guy now? yeah they're my new big brain team it was like when the Sixers were in the middle of the process and i was like guys 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 <laughs> sam hinky is a basketball <laughs> genius right everything he's doing is really really good and people look at me like i'm crazy because he traded all side drew holiday i'm laughing now i, I do have my markel fultz jersey upstairs uh, i'm not proud of that one but i respect the Sixers, man and i'm riding for this memphis team they're my hipster team now okay so did you want to do your eastern conference winner now yeah, sure. Uh, Eastern Conference for me would be the Pacers. Uh, I don't love anything that any of the Eastern Conference teams did this offseason. Uh, I think a lot of them, there wasn't really much they could do. Uh, but I think the Pacers, low-key, uh, are loading up for a pretty bright future. Uh, I think the Malcolm Brogdon signing was a, a masterpiece. I think he's exactly the kind of guy you want running next to Victor Oladipo. I think if they start to look at uh, trade destinations for either Miles Turner or DeMontis Sabonis. Just because of the history they've had with making great trades, they'll be able to get great value back. Yeah. Um, like I said, I don't think any of the Eastern Conference teams really punched uh, way above their weight in this free agency period. But often the sign of good GMing is not just being able to make good moves, but not making any mistakes either, right? Yeah. And I think that's why there are GMs out there, like, uh, for example, Golden State's Bob Myers, uh, that go underrated. And I know it's hard to call him underrated when he's already won Executive <laughs> of the Year. He signed Kevin Durant. But he's he's never made a bad signing, right? Yeah. Like, any signing that he made that ended up bad well, ended up being a minimum, something low-risk, like a Jonas Drebko or an Omri Caspi yeah. or, or drafting Jordan Bell with a 34th pick. Yeah. Like, you're not expecting much. And even if they bust, it's like, well, that's within... That, that, that was the expected outcome. Yeah. But he's never made a signing that was so bad that made me think, what the heck, Golden State have screwed themselves over. And GMs that can do that uh, really go underrated. Guys that just don't make mistakes. Yeah, they say the trades you don't make are just as important as the trades you make. Right. And I think in the paces, you do kind of see that hold true. Um, I don't super love their their potential future. Um, but if they if they continue on the same track that they were on last year, they, they should well be on pace for holding maybe the third seed again right maybe even challenging one of those top two teams for the second seed because that's what they were doing last year before Oladipo got hurt um and once again we're not talking about our favorites for these we're just talking about the guys who we thought punched a bit above yep. their weight and i agree with you that's a really really good team um did you have anything else you want to say about them uh i think they've got the brightest defensive future in the league uh, that's probably the last I'll say about them. Uh, enough has been said about how good the Pacers' defense has been. Yeah. Um, hot take, Miles Turner is a defensive player of the year candidate. <laughs> yeah, I'll leave it at that. Okay. Uh, my my Eastern Conference um, team that punched above their weight were the Sixers. Um, I don't know if they were punching above their weight, but maybe because they, they also happen to be my favorites for next year. But I feel like they really rounded out their team um, I think the three-point shooting is still there to be desired. Mm-hmm. I mean, Al Horford has a three-point shot at least. He does. And B can at least sort of have enough of a shot that the center might lose, might raise their legs a little bit. It, it happens, dude. People still bite for his pump fake, even though he shoots 30% from three. Yeah. It's well, unbelievable. Well, with a three-point shot, what you you don't need the guy to like literally jump out of his shoes to contest your shot like maybe someone might for Steph Curry. Yeah. But... If the guy at least leaves his center of gravity a little, that's enough for any superstar. Yeah, make, make to them take. uncomfortable, right? Yeah, at least make the guy on his tippy toes. You know what I mean? Like not literally Draymond Green style, sagging back in the key, waiting for the next guy to come along. Yeah, 
Um, I I think the Sixers definite with that Al Horford signing, they really solidified their roster. And they what they did for me was they didn't necessarily raise their ceiling, but they raised their floor right by a lot yeah. with Al Horford. And that's what Al Horford will do for a lot of teams. He'll he's a floor raiser in the good sense. Yeah. Not in the way that we described with Westbrook. Well, he doesn't have the habits that would make him think, Oh, I'm raising the floor so I can raise the ceiling as well, right? Like yeah. he's he's it's like Draymond Green, he knows his role. Yeah. He doesn't do dumb stuff. Yeah. And surprisingly in a multi billion dollar industry, that is valuable. Guys who don't do stupid things yeah. on the court. They they do what they do and they do it well and they don't try to do outside of what they can. Yeah. I think it's cool that you picked the Sixers as your answer here because for me, the expected outcome for the Sixers yep. would have been they bring Tobias Harris back on a four-year max. They bring Jimmy Butler back on a five-year max. Their cap situation is completely screwed. They have no depth. But yep. that starting five is still so good that I think they can win the league, right? Yeah. But they've somehow done better. Mm. Which is incredible because I haven't had a lot of faith in this Sixers front office since Sam Hinkie left. Uh, but to me, getting Josh Richardson and Al Horford, which I think almost are the two best players they could have potentially gotten in this scenario. Yeah, I didn't expect Miami to, to make that trade with them, the sign trade for Jimmy Butler. Um, that was way out of left field, but they, they took advantage of it. They've got a great roster. Uh, I can't wait to see what they'll do this season. Yeah, I think you had a really great point there about what we expected of them was to sign um, Tobias Harris and Jimmy Butler to Max's or something close to Max's. Yep. And I said before, it's the trades it's the trades or the moves you don't make that also matter. And I think long-term, not signing Jimmy Butler to a Max will prove to be a very, very good move. It's something that... It's one of those um, Dark Knight hero moves where it's like, no one's going to care because it's not something that happened. It's yeah. something that didn't happen. But if you're a, an avid follower of the Sixers, you will thank your lucky stars one day that Jimmy Butler was not signed to a 5 year max. Yeah, it's like it's like when Gohan chose to stay on <laughs> on Planet Kai and train yeah. instead of just trying to help right away. Because yeah. I'm sure you'd agree he would have gotten murked right away. <laughs> like, it's the decisions you don't make sometimes. And I think smart GMs, uh, smart leadership, you know, we're talking the business world, sometimes strategy is knowing what not to do. Yeah. Uh, and I think good NBA GMs really understand that. Yeah. Let's stay in the Eastern Conference and talk about the teams that we thought maybe underperformed a bit. I'll let you have to first go at this one. Okay. There's a lot I could say here, but I'm going to go with the Charlotte Hornets. Okay. Um, I don't understand why they didn't trade Kemba Walker at the end of last season. And I know we're talking about free agency right now, but their moves afterwards still haven't done anything to inspire me. Why did you sign Terry Rosie? Oh, why would, oh, I, I am beyond words. I thought, okay, they, they thought that, okay, if we bring back Kemba, uh, he'll be our hometown hero. We're never going to contend, but then he'll have trade value because he's still a star in his prime. Uh, he'll sell tickets because Charlotte loves him, as they should, because he's loyal and he's great. Yep. But why would you turn around and, and give out bad contracts like this? Well, you already have Nicholas Batum making $25 million. (laughs) Maybe it's one of those situations where it's like, you know what, we're screwed. Let's just max out how screwed we are. But what's their future? (laughs) Is it to tank forever? Like, I don't even trust their draft picks. I I find it funny that Celtics got budget Kyrie in Kemba. Yeah. And then... (laughs) And then Charlotte got budget Kemba in Terry Rizzi. He's not budget. He's like, okay, if Kemba is a poor man's Kyrie, which I will disagree with you with, I think Kemba's a better player than Kyrie right now. If Kemba is a poor man's Kyrie, then Terry Rozier is a homeless, destitute man's Kyrie Irving. He's Kyrie Irving with the ego and none of the skill. Well, I didn't say he was a budget um, Kyrie. I said he was a budget Kemba. I think a budget Kemba is a good... Budget Kemba... I imagine still has good IQ, right? Budget Kemba <laughs> is like Justin Holiday, who's thirty years old. Uh, you know, he's on he's on Memphis now. He's good value, you know, like a like a Darren Collison who is retired to be a Jehovah's Witness. Um, it's not Terry Rozier, man. Okay, I'm not gonna launch into my Kemba Walker. No, no, no. Can you name Can you name five players in the Charlotte Hornets? Go try. All right. Wait, what's that guy's name? <laughs> See, this is what I'm talking about. No one. Ah. Oh, I can't do this. Cody Zeller. Yep. Um, I said Nick, I said Nick, one. Nick Batum. Yeah, Nick Batum. Yeah, that's two. Um, 
Jeez, is that European guy? <laughs> I can't it, it's one this. of the Hernan Gomez's. Yes. And the tragic thing is, I don't know which one it is. <laughs> is it Juancho or is it Willie? I don't know. <laughs> who plays for who? Look, there's, there's naming Michael Jordan count. Dude, if he suits up, he's the best player. <laughs> which is tragic. Okay, I can't do this. I can't name five players okay. from the Charlotte Hornets. Right. I'll, I'll give you a few more. Dwayne Bacon. Okay. Uh, Miles Bridges, who was their rookie last season. No, 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 Jeremy Lamb. Jeremy Lamb. He, he doesn't play for them anymore. Yeah, he does. No, he doesn't. Did he get traded? No, he signed with... I forgot who he signed with. <laughs> he signed with someone. I think the Clippers. Okay, I well, this has been an interesting exercise in how unnameable the Charlotte so Hornets So I don't even want to know what your next answer is now. I feel like you can't beat the Charlotte Hornets, but go ahead. <laughs> See, when we first talked about this topic, I said the Knicks. I feel like that's obvious low-hanging fruit. And kind of. Part of me wants to talk about it because I feel like our listeners should still hear about how badly they perform. Oh, I agree. But I'm sure it'll be covered over and over again elsewhere. So just to continue this banter and slander of point guards, I'm going to say the Celtics. I think the Celtics massively underperformed in in this free agency period. Um, not only did they lose Kyrie, which was expected, they didn't sign, in my opinion somebody of his caliber to replace him now and we talked about how you think Kemba Kemba is worth it or that he at least pretty much replaces Kyrie it can't be worse in terms of that position it can't be worse in terms of chemistry but where's the other guy weren't, right. weren't they meant to get another guy weren't, weren't we saying this time last year they have the brightest future in the NBA that they're one signing away from locking up the NBA for the next four years it's the same thing we said about the Wolves teaser for later. It's the same thing we said about the Wolves about four years ago, that these guys have the, the league on notice, and it's their league to own for years to come. I don't see that happening for the Celtics for at least another three years now, and even then, maybe not. Um, it's pretty astounding how quickly this time, one year from one year ago, we were saying it's their league, and yep. now we're saying they can fight for the fourth seed maybe you know yeah and look the celtics don't inspire me either do i think they made any mistakes this offseason no but al horford didn't want to go back Kyrie didn't want to go back that was that's your two best players yeah. i still don't know if jason tatum is going to be the next ball pierce or not i like i can see how but he didn't improve much this season and neither did Jalen brown yeah. i get that they're still young uh, I'm willing to be patient with those two guys mm-hmm. as well as the rest of the young players on the Celtics. Well, that's what you're going to have to be now. It's not like it's a choice anymore. Yeah. Like you're ne- if you're a Celtics, before it was, oh, you know, we've got Kyrie and Gordon Hayward and Al Horford. These are really good players. Um, we're immediately contenders and there's the chance that we're going to have another superstar on a really cheap contract because Jason Tatum is going to take the next step. Uh, that hasn't happened. None of that has happened. In fact, it's been the worst case scenario for them. Uh did they underperform maybe am i confident about them not really but are they set up for success are they doing the right things are they doing what they can within their means i think so i think it's interesting you say are they doing the right things and that's something that's been said about danny ainge a lot not only does he do the right things he he often swindles other teams that's how he got his stash of never-ending picks yeah but there have been a few instances in the last few years now where I feel like Danny Ainge should have taken the risk and gone all in, and he hasn't. And I think we're starting to get to a point now where I think he might have missed his window, and it's going to come back to bite him in the ass. Um, I think he's missed. Yeah, like I just he. I think he's missed his window. Kyrie's gone. What now? You're you're on a different timeline now from what you were a year ago. And, and I think it's worth talking about because had he moved Jason Tatum for Kawhi Leonard back when Kawhi Leonard wanted out of San Antonio, the Boston Celtics could have had a championship ring right now. Yeah. So if Kawhi comes to Boston, maybe this Kyrie drama never happens. Maybe Kyrie once again realizes that he's not the number one guy, but he can play behind a superstar wing who can be the number one guy. Yeah. First LeBron, then Kawhi. Uh, I think the Celtics could easily match anything that the Raptors were offering for Kawhi. Yeah, uh, they didn't because Danny Ainge uh, believes in his young guys and that's fine like is that a mistake? 
No. Does it look bad in hindsight? Yes. Yeah. Uh, but it's worth talking about because it's what could have been. Yeah, it's important not to um, do this whole revisionist history thing. Yeah. Um, in light of the fact that Kawhi won a championship this year, because the whole narrative and discussion going into the season was the Raptors are idiots. You know they, they. They stand to lose everything. They did their guy dirty, so they deserve to be punished, right? Yeah, they, they stand to lose everything once Kawhi walks, which they kind of will now, but at least they've got a ring forever. Yeah. Um, it's important not to revise history just based on the results, which is that Kawhi won against the Hobbled Warriors. Yeah. Um, I want to talk about my Western Conference team that underperformed. This one might take our listeners by a bit of a surprise. For me, it's the Minnesota Timberwolves. Right. And it's for me. It's really just the fact that I mentioned, I hinted at it earlier. They had such a bright future when Carl Anthony Towns and Wiggins were in their first and second years. And I remember the narrative around the league, and I believed it too. Was that give these guys three or four years, they will have this league on lock. It's mm. gonna be their league for the next decade or so, as long as those two are playing together. And Man, has that just been, like, disgustingly wrong? Yeah. It's it's sad how wrong that is. Like, watching Wiggins become... You can't even say budget Kobe. If budget Kobe had another budget Kobe, and then two more budget Kobe's after that, that's Wiggins. Yeah. And, Car- and budget Kobe, at best, you would pay him maybe $8 million a year to be a shot creator off the bench. How much is Andrew Wiggins making? <laughs> Uh, I think it's close to 30 a year, isn't it's it? It's $32 million a oh year. Oh my goodness. 32. I mean, I don't know why, but people seem to still be optimistic on Wiggins. Um, his team definitely is. I don't know if they're just putting on the front because they don't want to tank his value. Right. But they still seem to be optimistic that he can turn into something. The only guy I'm optimistic on is Carl Anthony Towns. I've written off Wiggins since last year. Yeah. I think Towns might be in the place where either they need to get rid of Wiggins or they need to move Towns for like a stash of and picks reload, and stuff. Right? Yeah, reload. But Towns I still have hope for. He's shown he can do it in this league. Um, there's been a lot said about his his want to and his will, his desire, mm. that I guess alpha inside him for lack of a better word. But that's something that you can develop, I think. What you can't develop is his frame, his size, his skill set. Yeah. He is, in my opinion, going to be the best offensive big in the league for a while. We have never seen a big who shoots as well as he does and is still dominant in the post as he is. Yeah, uh, There are question marks about his defense, about his heart, about his drive, about his leadership skills. Uh, but look, I don't blame the guy for looking downcast when he has to play with Andrew Wiggins who... <laughs> Look, I don't want to slander the guy because I kind of feel bad for him, you know? He's been given expectations that he never asked for. Um, But the team still seems to think that Wiggins is their guy uh, because he takes the most shots on the team. In their first ever playoff series, Carlton Town was was frozen out of the ball. It happened again at the start of the season, last season, when Jimmy Butler was on the Wolves. Um, Do the Wolves have a path to appease Towns? Because... This isn't talked about enough. We're, we're, we're in the player empowerment era right now where Paul George can force his way out of a three-year contract before the first year is even up. Yep. What's to say Towns isn't going to be happy? What's to say Towns isn't going to force his way out the way Paul Zingas did? Because we always talk about, you know, you draft a nice young guy. They're going to be good for the next eight years, nine years. You're going to have them unlocked because you're, you have their restricted free agent rights. Yep. But Paul Zingas was literally willing to turn that down to sign the qualifying offer if need be and to go to Dallas. Yeah, well, I mean, the money is so high now that you're talking, like, this is rich people problems, right? Yeah. You're talking about the difference between 200 million and 160 million. I know $40 million is a lot of money, but if I'm tossing up between 160 million and 200, I can probably make some lifestyle and legacy decisions at that cost. Yeah. And I think this is the thing. Minnesota, they need to realize because of what's going on around the league, this isn't good enough. You have perhaps one of the top five young talents in the league who might be the best offensive big we've ever seen, not maybe in terms of you know his raw scoring or his raw ability to get buckets, but yeah. certainly in the way his play style uplifts a whole team, the way Jokic does, right? Yeah. 
you can't throw this away because I guarantee you the chance of you getting a player as good as Carl Anthony Towns with the draft picks you might get for trading him is very, very low. Yeah, we might see an Anthony Davis type situation where they just waste like the first seven to eight years of his career not putting anything around him to help him. Yeah. And I really don't want to see that happen to him because we just saw the same thing happen to Anthony Davis. And who knows like what we could have seen from him in the early stages of his career if New Orleans weren't doing malpractice in terms of putting their players around and that's him. what it is it was malpractice <laughs> yeah um so who's your western conference underperformer we'll wrap up with this for me it's the phoenix suns and okay they are the whipping boys of the league it's easy <laughs> to make fun of the suns just as it is you know to make fun of the knicks um to me the suns they're not acting like a team in their situation should right okay they they dropped down in the draft that was unlucky I would argue they've been lucky the last couple of seasons to consistently pick high. Yep. Um, they've shown no evidence that they can draft well at all. Devin Booker was a great pick. Uh, I think that kid is, is a star, if not a superstar. But they haven't made a single decent draft pick since. Apart from DeAndre Ayton with the first pick, who, again, look, he's, he's great. He's first pick potential, but Luka Doncic was on the board and Luka Doncic would have won you a couple more games this season. <laughs> I, I don't see how this team can get past its issues because they traded down in the draft for a guy who wasn't even a higher potential guy, right? Yeah. Usually when you trade down in the draft, it's to take a swing on someone, hope you grab a steal. But they didn't. They just drafted a reliable guy. And, and maybe that's because they've gotten burned by reaching for guys like Drive and Bender uh, or Marquise Chris in the past. Yep. Uh, and, and look, I didn't think either of those guys were going to be as bad as they were, you know? I, yeah. I feel sorry for them. I mean, them. I had high hopes for Dragon Bender. Yeah, Dragon Bender looked amazing. Josh Jackson, you know, the Celtics were thinking about taking him at number one. Yeah. That's that's unheard of um, for, for a player to just be this bad. But look, I feel sorry for them because their picks didn't pan out. But still, you've got to make good decisions. Otherwise, Devin Booker, he's going to be unhappy. Look, I think there are people saying if, if the Suns don't get it together um, in, in two, three years, he's going to want out. I don't I, want to be here type situation. Yeah, I don't want to be. And I think the sad thing is it could happen even earlier. Okay, what have the Suns done well? I thought Kelly Oubre was a good signing. Yep. Um, two years, 30 million. Maybe a bit of an overpay, but he's a he's a good young player. He knows how to play the game. Uh, he's, he's a 3 and D wing, which is great. That's what you need these days. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not enough. You need to do more than that. Uh, I'm disappointed because the Suns can look around them and see all the evidence that something has to change. Uh, you've seen teams like the Kings return to relevance through smart decisions and you know gambles that might not have paid off, uh, but were better than nothing. Yeah, the Suns are not doing better than nothing right now. They're doing nothing at all, just like the Minnesota Timberwolves. Yeah, when you think about it, they're really the only team in the Western Conference that you could look at and say, "Damn, they're bad." Yeah, like you might be able to say them say that about the Wolves. You can still say that about the Grizzlies um, while they're div- sorting their young guy situation out. But damn, like, this is the only team you can look at in the Western Conference and say they're bad. Yeah, like, I just fully expect them to win 15 games, right? Yep. And do nothing. There's not another team in the league who I just have this little confidence in. Yeah. At least with the Knicks, they, they drafted, <laughs> so they didn't draft, they signed like three pretty good power forwards. Why all in the same position? I have no idea. But that's like, they've got smart players. RJ Barrett could be good. I don't see with any other team that I have zero expectations for that I'm, there's not a shred of hope in me that this team will be better than what they were doing last season. Yeah, that's sad. It's not often that I feel sorry for the Knicks, but I have to give it to them. They did everything right this season and they got screwed over they did. really badly. They did. And do they deserve to get screwed over? Yes. Uh, you can't run the franchise the way you have and expect KD to just come to you with open arms. Yeah, but in a vacuum, if you looked at the 1920 the 18-19 season they deserved better just on that vacuum in that yeah. vacuum alone yeah I think they did the best they could well yeah. maybe not I, I give them I give them a B minus or maybe a C yeah. plus well even now they've still done decent things for the next wave of free agents whenever yeah. that comes along yeah and they've got trade chips which oh man I didn't think I'd be saying this about the Knicks that's yeah. not bad like yeah. they, su- they exceeded my expectations yeah I still think they did crap but they exceeded my expectations maybe at the 100 year mark the Knicks might turn it around yeah I mean and we're I'll halfway be there. there I'll be there when it happens we're halfway there now yeah I'm not gonna die until the Knicks <laughs> are 
look, I think that's all we have time for this week. Yeah, I think that's it. Uh, we've covered a lot of ground. There's still more moves to be made. I'm sure we'll be coming back to this Russell Westbrook issue once the trade actually happens. Uh, but for now, any any other thoughts until our next pod? No, I think uh, I just want to tease for our listeners for the next pod. We're going to talk about my thoughts on players forcing their weight out of contracts. Uh, what do you want to talk about in the next pod? Uh, I think that's a good topic. I've got my own thoughts on that. Uh, yeah. They might be different to yours, but I guess we'll have to wait and see. Yeah, that could probably take up the whole pod next week. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, again, that's all we have time for this week. Thanks for listening. Uh, remember, you can now subscribe to us on iTunes and Spotify. Just look up Hoops and Hot Pot. Uh, and we'll see you next week. Cheers.